Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. It was a welcome back to me. Thank you for your patience to you. Um, I run this podcast or I release episodes in a really relaxed way because I feel like the content that I put out every week is actually rich enough that you can always revisit um, episodes and go over your journaling and keep working. This is like a really deep process. It's so I'm, I, I feel like I can leave you for a week or two and not give you something fresh and something new um, to listen to, even though I, I know that we live in a very sort of um, binge-oriented society where we just want to have everything there immediately and consume it all at once. And that's that's cool, but, you know, I... I'm running an anti-capitalist business, which means I want you to take your time. I want you to take your time with everything. And I want you to really absorb and to, you know, take breaks, to return to content. I wouldn't even call it content, to return to these conversations, to return to these ideas, to track how your own um, ideas about Africa, about success are shifting and changing from one year to the next. So this isn't just something that you will do now and then, you know, kind of leave. I consider this to be lifelong work and these are conversations we can always return to at any stage in life. So for that reason, I don't feel a lot of pressure in like getting the podcast out to you weekly. I do try to do that. I I say weekly because I like to kind of stay in a schedule and, and get all the podcasts out in the series. Um But when things come up in my life that require attending to, I tend to that because I am a whole human being. I am not just a worker. I'm not just a content creator. I don't even think of myself as a content creator. I think of myself as a culture maker. Shout out Kelly Deals for that language. I think of myself as a culture creator. Uh, Shout out Gillian Walker for that language as well and so the difference is that I am putting out ideas into the world that will change the way that we all think and that will change the way that we move and that we navigate life you know so what I'm offering is very deep and it's very profound and one of the and it's it's the way that I walk through the world and the reason why uh, we took a break this time this is the second break that I've taken since the reboot. The first was just to give myself time to celebrate my birthday because, you know, I'm also divesting from capitalism. It's very fresh to me. And sometimes I forget that, you know, sometimes it is time. It's, it's good to schedule your work life so that you are a human being who can honor the life that you're living and spend time with family and friends celebrating. And the second time taking a break is because I wanted to spend some time with my mom, you know, Um, We have beautiful phone conversations that are like non-speaking conversations. And sometimes I just like to hang out with her like that. Um, It's special to me and she's special to me. So yeah, that's what I was doing. And then I had a busy week um, getting back into my PhD life soon, next week. Um, At the moment, I'm on a bit of a break. I mean, the semester break. But the research never ends for PhD students. It's constant and ongoing. So, yeah, 
um, I'm juggling, that's my full-time job and this is my quote-unquote side business, side hustle. So in time, it will become a more major part of my life, but right now I'm just building it slowly and the podcast is definitely one of the uh, bigger building blocks in the uh, overall uh, business that is becoming and that is growing. And if you would like to chat with me about any of the ideas that have come up, if you would love for me to hold space, I do offer one-to-one consultations with folks um, on a sliding scale. You can hit me up. Um, I'll put the uh, all the contact information in the info box below this podcast so you can you can get in touch with me on a sliding scale I can talk to you for like 60 minutes an hour to an hour and a half and I can hold space as you unpack and reflect on any particular uh, issue topic um, questions um, tensions that have come up for you as you've listened to this podcast it's my absolute pleasure to do that as a in the capacity of a storyteller. I'm someone who is able to listen um, quite intently and to hold space and to ask objective questions and to help folks um, who are rewriting the story of their lives or questioning a narrative that they've always had in their lives. I'm, I'm able to almost act like an editor, you know, who I don't interfere. I'll let you write your own story, but I do ask you questions about certain storylines that you may have. So you may want to contact me about that for a one-to-one session, one-off. I also offer a year-long um, container, which is fully customized um, to your needs, uh, to any particular issue that's come up as you're listening to these podcasts. Maybe there's something that you would like to unpack further about your definition of success, about your definition of what it means to be African. And you're thinking of shifting that, but you want someone to help you shift that. Because often I found when I'm doing this work, I've been alone on this journey for a long time. And one thing I always wanted and longed for was a community or somebody else to walk with me, especially through the really tricky parts. And so I'm offering that as a, um, a paid offering to people. Um, so again, the contact information is in the info box below. And I look forward to hearing you. That's a, if you want to walk with me for a year as you go through your work, there's an application process and I can explain all of that to you. So just contact me and I'll give you the information. Today's show is beautiful. I mean, they've all been amazing interviews and I've been so excited. I can't wait. I'm so excited to, to um, share this with you. And... You know, there was a moment there when I thought that maybe my recordings were lost. <laughs> and I felt so sad about all these interviews that are coming up now because they really are golden. We're going to get some beautiful insight into traveling to Africa. Because I know we've been talking about this in a very theoretical way. Um, some of the folks that we've spoken to have direct experience. Actually, most of them, Tinashem Shakabanu, has direct experience in Africa, having grown up there, worked there. Um, Saki Mafundikwa Mwalimu has, you know, been in Zimbabwe for a long time, lived in New York for a while, set up a business in Africa as well. And um, today we're going to talk to a business development expert, an attorney, and a travel operator who actually helps people to relocate to Africa. 
people from the diaspora in particular and to set up businesses, um, to set up a new life. But I think the first step is always go for a few holidays. Make connections. See who you might want to partner with. Who would you like to collaborate with? Because the ideas are already there. You know, Africans are self-starters. They're not looking to be rescued. They're not looking to be saved. And neither should anybody think that Africa will save them, right? So it's beautiful to find a tour operator who's providing that kind of service. But I wanted to, you know, but in a, in a way that's like fun, so much fun, so beautiful. It's all about relaxation and luxury and going on a beautiful holiday and living well in a way that the West can't offer most black people, right? So um, I wanted to have a chat with Tiffany Anderson and about Away to Africa. I highly encourage you to hop onto their website, awaytoafrica.com, and check out their, I think they're running like 25 annual trips to 20 African countries, North, South, West, East Africa. So if you're obsessed with Mama Africa, then Away to Africa is definitely the place to go. They've got like a Ghana tour coming up in December, and that's a real estate investment tour. They've got a tour to Nigeria where, you know, you get to experience life in Lagos. You can go to, you can spend New Year's in South Africa and Zanzibar, and you can go to the Afrofuture and New Year's Eve festivals in Ghana as well. So that's all coming up in this half of the year. And they do that regularly. And, you know, they've just, they've always had Kenya, Lamu and Kenya, a yoga festival. That's where I first caught wind and started to earnestly follow them, like back in 2019, 2020. And, uh, they're just doing amazing stuff away to Africa. So definitely check them out, awaytoafrica.com. Um, there's also a podcast that you can follow. I will get that information for you and put it all in the info box. The website, their social media handles, all of that stuff. So stay tuned and thanks for your patience. I really wanted to have a chat with you in particular because I'm I'm always keeping an eye on folks who are running tours in Africa because the motherland and I, I was excited because I was like oh, this is the doing it so I'm from Zimbabwe um, and I saw that you were actually running tours in Zimbabwe too and not many people are doing that at the moment so I was like okay okay this is this is thing this is good um, and then I just like the way that your Instagram like how you actually curate the story about Africa you know like it's because so many people just focus on the animals and the safari, but you really take us into culture, you know, people just hanging out, like like the, um, I think it was the Malian ladies had like all their makeup on and continuation of the tradition in, in the modern age, you know, and the food, you know, and then the where are we Wednesdays and <laughs> what are we doing, where are we doing Wednesdays, that's it. So um, I just really wanted to have a chat with you because you just seem like um, a person who's got a really, yes, who's got a love, like a real love for Africa, like a real love for Africa, like a real love for Africa, like a real, like a real love for Africa. Like a real the conversation I conversation inviting us into, inviting us into, inviting us into, inviting us into. One about, one about, one about. There's one thing you said in there that really popped in there, like black people. Is this the same? It's the same one, isn't it? It's the same one, isn't it? You know what? Another thing, the whole album is wrecking, the whole album is wrecking, the whole album is wrecking.
Okay. All right. That's the one that popped. That's the one that popped. I'll put it in position to keep black people in a position. Which for me, for me, I mean, that hits home so hard. I think you take it. I think you take it. Well, I mean, look. Well, well, I mean, look. Well, well, I mean, look. Well, well, I mean, look. It was written for his family. It wasn't written for a public address or anything. It's very short. He said, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children, and you notice he shifts from his sons to children. So he's bringing women in to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Now that's the upward climb for him. Not so they'll get rich, or they'll get powerful, or they'll be celebrities. It's the rise of a cultivated, civilized civilization in Crusades. And it all comes out of what you do at the beginning, building this foundation, creating this to Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye podcast, produced on the beautiful and black sovereign countries of the Eastern Kulin and a place labelled Southeast Australia. I am a guest here. I am Karang Achihera from a place labelled Southeast Africa or Zimbabwe. And you? Are you ready to reclaim, redefine and replenish your imagination, your ideas of who you are, what you are and what you're made of? Are you ready to snatch back control over your imagination from the visions we never explicitly consented to carry forward, but which we nonetheless find ourselves unconsciously tending to as we go along with the crowd? Then, dear Rebel, you're listening to the right podcast. I'll be your guide and mostly your companion on this journey as we reclaim our imagination and deeply root our lives in ways of being that uplift both our own and collective liberation. We'll travel to the beat of a dream-enhancing soundscape that is lovingly curated with bursts of poetry, short stories, sound art, and chats with the guests who will join us during our quest. More than just listening to what we have to say and the soundtrack to our road trip, as you chill in the back of the tour bus, I'm extending an invitation for you to listen in with explicit intention to get curious about your own inner world. If it feels good, I invite you to make yourself a nice cup of tea, light a candle, burn some incense, perhaps grab a cozy blanket and a few cushions, get comfy, it's story time, mine and yours, ours. You may wish to pull out a pen or better yet, keep a journal where you can doodle, collage, draw and take notes of memorable moments as we make our way across this soundscape. On a quest for stories, I create new and clear visions, new directions. We'll touch base with black African creatives, creators whose imaginations are tapped into practices of living on their own terms, 
including living beyond the imposed group identity of Black and African, and success. And we'll focus on two questions. What does success mean? And what does it mean to be African in the 21st century? Are you ready? All right, get comfy. It's story time. It was written. Hi, my name's Natalia. I am the founder of The Organic Afro. I'm South African Mauritian and I grew up in Western Australia and now live in London in the UK. I wear my hair natural because I am free. In my country, it was frowned upon to wear hair kinky, coily and curly. It was like a shadow of shame that people would do absolutely anything they could to be rid of. When I was born, showing any signs of blackness meant that you would quite literally be treated as a second-class citizen, not allowed to go where you want to go or do the work you want to do, or even live where you want to live. Access to education, healthcare, and public amenities were restricted due to your appearance. Our bodies, our minds, and our lives were constricted by the heavy and rough ropes of apartheid. Truth bomb, even if you were born into a white family, if your hair was kinky, you'd be sent to a school for colored and black children. You'd also have less access to privileges and opportunities. Most women would spend hours putting chemicals in their hair, sitting under hair dryers or at the mercy of the hot comb, but it didn't end there. It was common for women to refrain from any activities that would make their hair go home, which meant return to its non-heat styled form. No exercising, no swimming, and definitely no activities outside in the rain. Women would even stop dancing at parties if they felt they were sweating from their head. Even though we left South Africa when I was a child, the apartheid mentality kept a stronghold, and especially among the non-white South African community in Western Australia. Since I was 17, I've been constantly working towards freedom, which all started with the decision I made to accept my natural hair. Today I love it, and I love myself more than I have thought possible. Today I am natural because I am free. Free from the shame that colonization made my ancestors and I feel about Africanness. Free from the limitations placed on us to adhere to beauty standards that were designed to make us feel inadequate. Free from the patriarchal expectation to conform to the idea that being a woman means we should be an object to be consumed. Free to be naturally me in all of my truth and glory. One love, your froologist, Natalia Musa. Are you ready? All right, get comfy. It's story time. It was written. So I wanted to give uh, folks just an idea of who you are as a person and then about a way to Africa and how that came about. And then we'll spend about 30 minutes maybe on that. And then after that, we'll chat about, you know, your definition of what it means to be African in the 21st century. So... Yeah, just the first question, the first question, which is who am I, you know, I'm Tiffany Anderson, I would say I'm a woman of God, I'm daughter, a sister, auntie, you know, in the future, inshallah, soon to be mom, um, I'm, a, I'm just a woman, a, a being of this earth, but really naturally on my own organic course to connect my roots of who I am as an African woman. So I would say me, myself, I am a constant learner of earth. I am just, I love, I love learning new things. I love experiencing new things. I love traveling. I love learning through traveling. 
So yeah, I would say I'm all of those things. I'm, I'm definitely a traveler of this first, uh, more importantly. But what I do is something different. Um, by practice, I am an attorney and I am a professor. I, I, I studied abroad at, at UWC, University of Western Cape Law School, and that was my first introduction to the continent. This was in the summer of 2006. And, you know, it's important to differentiate who you are and what you do. My mom taught me that because my mom is an attorney. And I find when you're an attorney, people always put you in a box. Like, if you have a, a good reasoning to why you are this way or why you're choosing to do certain something a certain way, they're like, oh, that's because you're an attorney. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I do. That's not who I am. My mom had to tell me that because I had to, I tried to run that line. Oh, I guess it's an attorney. She's like, that's what I do. So what I do is I'm an attorney. I am a licensed attorney, started out doing real estate in St. Paul. And then I also taught at university, well, at a college level, um, taught business law and immigration law. And um, it was during the experience studying abroad in South Africa which was my first time to the continent. It was my first time actually having a passport because traveling to the Caribbean, you only needed your birth certificate, you know, um, prior to 06. It's only recently going into Jamaica where you need, now need your, um, your uh, passport. I think we're breaking up. I'm not sure if it's your side or my side. I think we're breaking up a little bit. It's like 06, 07. When I was, let me know. That's cool. So um, 06, 06 is when you had to, when you, yeah, you had to move in South Africa. And then that's when I realized that everything I learned outside of my home of Africa was false for the most part because you have two sources of information usually your formal education at school and then your informal education in a household. And my mom and my, my father's, my biological father's family um, were they're super or um, super pro Pan-African. So I grew up, you know, celebrating Kwanzaa, um, learning of the different, um, learning of different countries and different dynasties throughout Africa and different leaders of Africa. My mom would make us, like, on Saturday, we were in the library, had to do sports, you know. And I learned of Kwame Nkrumah through my mom's library. I learned of Marcus Garvey through having to do a report when I was, like, seven years old. So I knew that the continent was more than what we were being taught in school where it was omitted from our school textbooks, honestly. And then the globe depicted Africa as a smaller continent than the US, which we all know is a lie. So just the perception that was ingrained in the school setting, I just was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to go find out more. So I did the study abroad and I just was baffled. It was mind blowing because South Africa is such an advanced country also. It is usually a good entry level into the continent depending on what your expectations are. 
So I would say I had, because I had frequency motion, South Africa was a great start because it's like somewhat like the U.S., you know, where we lived. And I was living better in Africa than I was in the States, you know, traveling as a law student, staying at um, B&A Waterfront in Cape Town and Posh Flats and things of that sort. So my accommodation was Posh experience, you know, living well, eating well, but South Africa in 2006, you still can smell the remnants of apartheid. So although we were in being a waterfront, when I would look over my balcony, I would see Black Africans traveling to work into being a waterfront before the sun rise, and then as the sunset, they would leave. And I started asking them, why is it this way? Why is it that they're leaving and they're, you know, leaving in droves and someone explains to me they don't live here? You know, it's the, the nicer areas are not um, owned and occupied. The Black Africans who were working, they were arrived during sunrise, leave during sunset in droves. And then around me in these posh, you know, uh, accommodations, I only see Africanas or foreigners, and they were like, you know, it's still the remnants of the apartheid. It's still a separation within the country. Um, there's still racism within the country. Um, there's still um, discrepancy in wealth, you know, uh, a failure to equally distribute wealth, which um, those who know of apartheid and how apartheid ended, they agreed to transition power, but not wealth which is the reason to this day that you have the minority Africanas who own majority of the wealth in South Africa. So it just really intrigued and I became really intrigued because I think the perception is reciprocated of, of yeah. Okay, so Tiffany's just popped up the screen. Um, I think we're having a bit of connection problems, which is normal. That happens. Um, that happens. It's like that's part of the joy of trying to connect back to Africa. You're getting the authentic experience. So I'm really enjoying this conversation because if you recall, like there's so many parallels between what Tiffany's talking about and my granddad's experience. Um, so when she gets back on, I want to just fill her in on that because he did work in Cape Town as a chef for a, um, a wealthy family. So I was just filling in, you know, because um, as, you're, as you're speaking, I'm, um, uh, this project has actually been inspired because my granddad worked in South Africa um, in oh, Cape Town. So as you're talking, I'm going, yeah, yeah, because I, I spent some time, like uh, I got a, a grant and I traveled to South Africa and, and spent about five weeks, um, a bit of that time in Cape Town and just like taking in the vibe and the energy. And I was just like, Ooh. Cape Town yeah. particularly is yeah. still very segregated. Extremely segregated. And then also I was surprised when um, I was told at that time, this was before I was really living my Caribbean life, so I was a bit lighter in, in complexion. And they were like, oh, you can hang with us in the colored section. And I'm like, colored? Like, that's a derogatory term in the West. And you know they still have 
you have Indian, then you have colored, which is a mixture of any of the races, and then you have black African. So I'm like, wait, but you're African. Like, you know, and they're like, no, no, we're not African, we're colored. I'm like, whoa, it really was my learn to learn history in its flesh. So to see with my own eyes, you know, Africans like moving throughout the community and having to go back and and live where it's in a shanty town or, you know, um, or a township or, you know, or even in suburbs, but they weren't living in the really posh places. And I'm not going to say all, but even now, if you travel to Cape Town and you go into Kent's Bay, when if I rent an Airbnb in Kent's Bay, it's a good percentage. It's like I'm going to be the only Black woman there in Kent's Bay. So, you know, it, it just was... Um, it was interesting because I think preconceived notions that are held by those who are born in the West, and then it, it's somewhat it's similar to preconceived notions for those who are born on the continent of how they view those in the diaspora, most specifically Africans born in America. Because I would say it's a different perception if I say I'm traveling from the States versus if I'm traveling for Jamaica from Jamaica, you know, if you're in the Caribbean, up Caribbean percent, you're giving a bit more like acknowledgement and credit and recognition closer to being African than those Africans who were born in America, which were really just one boat stop away from one another. And we didn't choose, you know, our ancestors didn't choose that voyage. So I say all of this to say that my uh my experience studying abroad really resonated with my spirit and i knew that my works would be done on the continent i just didn't know how so um i traveled back to the states and worked in the legal field for about 10 years before i actually launched the way to africa yes i sat on the idea for 10 years i was working for others uh, working in business development working in real estate was taking the ideas of other CEOs and expanding it into a full-blown, like, well-running, well well-ran well business. So I was hesitant of taking the leap of faith to start my own business. And then after some time, it was in, when was it? It was in, it was almost five years ago that I just said, okay, I was a little bit overworking in the legal industry and I was going to take the risk, move to Jamaica and launch away to Africa. And if it didn't work out, I can always go back to working as an attorney. And it's one of the best decisions I made for my life. Yeah. An incredible story or experience that you, you, you've told us. <laughs> um, can you, what's it like growing up there and you've got a Pan-African worldview? And, and, and where did they, because I, when I speak to people, when I read, like the more I look into like diasporic Africans, because I guess I'm curious now because I'm one of them in Australia, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated by just how much, so like people like Marcus Garvey have influenced the thinking so many generations later. And um, so I always want to know like, how, how did that, how did that come about? Because I, I know he, you know, obviously the United Negro Association had like, such 
a huge reach, you know, so many millions of people around the world. But for your family, how do they come into that Pan-African um, thinking? I think it's interesting because my father passed when I was three. And my mom married and is still married to a white Jewish man. So I grew up in a household celebrating Christmas, Kwanzaa, and Passover. So it, I really had a melting pot of um, different cultures, I guess you would say. And then, um, I don't see you. Oh, really? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I can see you now also. You can see me now? Okay. I can see you. So, um, yeah, I I don't know where it was instilled from my mom and my biological father's there, his family. So, like, my grandmother, my father's side, my aunt, from my father's side, my sister. Like, we would celebrate Kwanzaa, have Kwanzaa dinners, take pictures in our African garbs with the straight, like, sweaters and the poofy hats and things. And then my stepsister, who's Jewish, we got her the closest thing to, like, an African garb sweater. And she's in the picture with us also. So it just goes to show that it just really was a respect for all different cultures. But yeah, my, my biological father's family just where when, we, when I walk into the house, like African mass, mud fog, um, any book you can think of on, you know, um, the different kingdoms of Africa, the different kings and queens of Africa. Um, speaking of Marcus Garvey, like my mom, growing up, my mom would make us go to library on Saturdays. And then I was, I did a Marcus Garvey report like at seven years old. So I knew about like Garveyites and the mission to bring um, Africans, you know, um, in the States to Africa. And so growing up with that, you are, even though I'm living with a white family, I'm still proudly Black because the foundation that I was raised in through my mom and my biological father's family. And also my mom loved to research. Also, um, I said that as well. This was before my mom went into law school. Anything they became interested in, they would research. So we had so many books, so like there is your access to knowledge and your access to the world through these books. Because this is before the the web. This is, um, I mean, we have computers and things like that, but this is before Facebook and Instagram where people are sharing their stories of this which was going on throughout the continent and throughout the world. So your foundation was dependent on what your parents or what your family is doing in you. Mm-hmm. So I grew up knowing the different days of content and what it represented and why I should be proud to be Black. And then my mom enforced education, always. So for me, despite if we grew up in you know a place that wasn't up to par, I just knew like education and being probably black was who who, who I was like a, a smart young black woman or a young black girl. That's that's who I grew up knowing who I was. So I never was ashamed of it. Wasn't until I moved from New York to the South where getting a firm like 
in New York, everything was natural. Everything was, this is, you know, <laughs> this is cool yeah. tea for time, you know? So, yeah. yeah, so in the 80s, I'm an 80s baby. It was, we grew up super conscious. Eric B and Rakim, ETMZ, those type of artists where they were about unification of Black people and speaking of Africa and being African. That's the time of frame I went grew up in. And then when we moved to the South, it was like, why don't you have a turn? And then the down South music, which Atlanta music is not speaking on such a positive vibe as up North music during that time. So yeah, I would I would really say, and going back to your initial question who I am, the foundation of me growing up with that background and where I'm able to balance it out with being probably African, and then also having an appreciation for different cultures, mm. you know, so I'm able to travel and I don't speak the language or understand the language and like they try to speak in English. I'm like, no, that's not your job to speak to in, in English. It's my job to learn your language. Mm. So I think having appreciation for different cultures and wanting to just learn more about, okay, this is where you come from, this is your food, this is your language, these are the different mannerisms. This is considered respectful or not respectful. Like in Jamaica, everyone kisses kisses their teeth. Like everyone. <laughs> and here I do it to my boyfriend who's like Kenyan. He's like, that's so disrespectful. Do it. And I'm so, and I'm like, it's it's not even being rude. It's just like rolling your eyes or something. Like oh no, first again. Every time it gets good, I I think I'm gonna find a new platform. Sorry, Tiffany. I don't know if you can hear me. I love just this discussion about all the differences between the different Africans around the globe. It's true. Kissing your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I got into trouble once for doing that in Zimbabwe. It's just something we did, but it's actually really disrespectful. It's like telling somebody to go F off. You were talking about you were kissing your teeth. I mean, you call it kissing teeth, we call it sucking teeth. <laughs> I've got into so much trouble doing that once, I remember. So what did your boyfriend say? What did he say, what did he say when you did that? He said so rude. And he's like, if you, my mom heard you doing that, you know, <laughs> it would be a disgrace. It's so rude. And I'm just like, gosh, you have no idea how the men in, in Jamaica, they kiss their teeth worse than women. It's not. But the funny thing is, I don't like it either. I don't like what men do it. But it's just something like, so you're really understanding different cultures and what's respected and what's accepted. Yeah. So I would say ultimately, yeah, that is my upbringing. And I don't know how it started with them because I, my grandparents are Jamaican on both sides, but the, the culture, uh, the Jamaican culture wasn't passed down throughout the family. You know, I didn't find out I was Jamaican until later on in life. I just used to always hang around Jamaicans. I used to sneak into the Caribbean Student Association and lie and say I was Jamaican before I even knew I was Jamaican. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. So I think um, it's interesting how, you know, I, I got to the place that I am now, but I think you, in life, and walking that path in life, you have to listen out to signs. You have to listen mm. to some messages from people, and you have to take risks. And you have to take risks for things that towards that burning desire in your heart. If you know you can't sleep without doing or being that person or creating 
whatever it is, then that is what you're put on this earth to do. And everyone has a purpose. Every single being has a purpose. It's I just finding out what that purpose is and, and walking in confidence, knowing that, you know, it's going to take a few trials and tribulations and no's and Dorothy's slams in your face before you're provided the opportunity. Yeah. That that patience, I think, from that, because I think so often we're sold this dream, this illusion under capitalism that, you know, everything's going to happen in the blink of an eye, whereas, in fact, some of the best things, you know, it's like growing a plant, you got the seed, you got to wait for it to germinate. you got to wait for the roots. you got then the, the trunk's got to be sturdy, and then the tree grows, and then what comes last is the fruit, so everything takes time, you know? I love the fact that it sounds like the seeds with you were sown quite young. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated because, I mean, we're in an era now, and I want to talk about a way to Africa um, and just connecting that back to what you just, you know, told us about growing up and uh, the love that your family had for Africa and for all cultures um, and the respect that that, you know, um, really... Uh, nurtured within you for all the cultures that you come across on the continent, all the African cultures on the continent, outside of the continent, you know. Um, how, like, how did a way to Africa come about? I, my sense is, and I, and I wonder if this is correct, is that it's, um, is it connected in some way to the Pan-African vision? Because we're living in this age where so many folks from the United States are actively seeking to repatriate, to go back. It's, it's, funny enough, it didn't start with that. Um, I would like to say I'm there now. I, I love the works of Marcus Garvey and the thing which Marcus Garvey, I think, was greatest for is changing the mindset of people. That's the toughest thing to do in the world, is to change the way a person thinks. If you think the color, color of the sky is purple, it's hard to convince them that it's blue. So um, the one thing is Marcus Garvey, he never made it to Africa himself, but he empowered Africans in the state, in, in throughout the Caribbean to know that they were probably African and everything that they were doing there, they could do in Africa. And that America wasn't built for Black people that you know, going to Africa would be the best option and the best um, choice to live their lives. But I was saying away to Africa, the seed was planted, but I truly started the company because when I went to South Africa and studied abroad, I felt as if the story wasn't being told truthfully. Mm. The story wasn't being told honestly. Um, the beauty that I saw, the emotions that I felt, the connections that I felt to the people when they were saying, like, in Chinese, you see, like, welcome to say, you know, welcome home. No one could recreate that feeling for me. And I felt when I was traveling to, to South Africa, people were like, what? You're going to South Africa? Why? Why are you going? And making jokes about safaris and animals and things. And then when I went, I'm like, Ew, I am living life here. <laughs> a posh, like a uh, flat on, you know, overlooking the DNA waterfront. But from the spiritual connection, I felt more rich. 
So I wanted to spread that energy to others. I wanted to spread that light. It's like if, if the light is turned on within you, like what do you do about it? A lot of people don't know want to know about the truth of the world and how messed up society is because now they have that they have to make the decision if they're going to be a, a contribute are you are they going to contribute to the change that's needed? And mm-hmm. some people would rather just like take the easy way out, like ah, I'm just gonna flow through it and just learn about it. So when I that fire was ignited within me, I just started going and telling anyone who listened, like you have to go. They're basically lying to us. So it wasn't necessarily on the realms of repatriation because I'm still not 100% for people just traveling to Africa the first time to repatriate. I think people should go and visit and they should make the correct connections and they should travel to Africa with a plan because if you travel to Africa, Africa is not going to save you nor are you going to save Africa. You have to have a plan and know that what you are thinking most likely people have the same thoughts and ideas on the ground throughout the continent. It's about making those connections. So I would say it was less of a idea of repatriation and more of an idea of, look, just come check it out. Just come see for yourself because I know for if there are 10 people or 20 people who travel on a tour and these four are going to go back and say, I, I have to go back. I can't let another year go by without me I'm returning. Of the 20 people, you're going to have another five people who are going to spread, or even 10 people are going to spread the word of their experience through pictures and through stories. And then that's going to have a triple effect of maybe two people saying, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. And then you're going to have a small percentage who's going to, it's really going to affect them, and they're going to discuss moving to Africa. So I I felt my job isn't, so right now my job is, is just becoming a liaison. For those who are ready, we're not here to convince anyone they should travel to Africa. But for those who are ready, those who have an interest, to say, okay, this is like this is a a, a a vehicle that will get you to the continent, and you don't have to worry about anything. We'll organize your flight, accommodation, transportation, experiences. If you're looking to invest, we'll um, set you up with some realtors. You can look at properties beforehand. You want to do agriculture. You want to move your family out, so you're looking at different schools. Okay, we'll take care of every everything, but you have to first make the decision. So, in the long run, I can I can see how we relate to Marcus Garvey's mission, but it's with less of a militant tone. I think say because you know, once you're militant, they come after you. I can accomplish the same thing you know, working through content, you know, uh, speaking through different platforms and connecting to people and just showing them, even through the passion that I have, and me as a young Black woman just getting up and saying, I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm just going to travel there. You know, my family hadn't traveled to Africa. I think maybe my mom and stepdad went to Egypt by this time. But other than that, you know, people looking at me like I was crazy. Like, you want to study in South Africa for almost two months? Mm-hmm. And now it's, <laughs> it's the best decision you can make in life travel through education. I agree. I mean, I've, I've done that. I've traveled through education. Um, and I think that's the best way to really get to know a culture and to get to know yourself. 
nothing can compare to how much you learn when you immerse yourself, you know, and you're open. If you're open, you have to be open and to have no judgment, no preconceived ideas, just be open. And um, it's fun. So tell me about some of the fun experiences you've had with the way to Africa, like traveling and do you have a destination? I don't know if you can say that without jeopardizing, because you've gone to a lot of places. I'm living in one of my favorite destinations. I mean, I won't say I'm living here, but I'm staying, currently staying in one of my favorite destinations, which is Lamu, Kenya. You know, it's an, a queen, it's an archipelago, actually, of small islands, but Lamu town is one of the main islands. But it's, I love it. It's, I've really slowed down um, because of COVID, but because of, you know, now I'm staying in a small village, you know, walking without shoes on. It's, it's quite interesting, but I would say my favorite city is Lalibela in Ethiopia. I can, traveling throughout Ethiopia, I can understand why, why it's full or identified as a chosen land. Um, it just something regal about Ethiopian, and then Ethiopians are in their own world because they're, they're probably Ethiopian, you know, they've never colonized. They have the only alphabet that doesn't use American letters. You know, they have their own clock. Uh, they go by their own time. It's, it, it's really, it is, Ethiopia is amazing. Ghana, I love also because of culture, from a cultural standpoint, Ghana is just like amazing. And for those who are looking to move, to the continent, Ghana is a great option as well. Um, a lot of young creative professionals, even returnees, those who are first and second generation Ghanaians and or even Nigerians who are, you know, cracking up and moving to Ghana. So I think it's a great opportunity um, for Ghana. And I would say the most beautiful country, collectively speaking, is South Africa. South Africa, you have Yes, you have Cape Town, which is gorgeous. You have Joburg, which is the vibe. But then you have um, Kezeden, which Durban is in, located in Kezeden. Kezeden is a, a province, Fazul Natal. And then you have uh, Drakensberg Mountains, which is a region of mountains which connects South Africa to Lesotho. Lesotho is another amazing country, beautiful country. It's a landlocked country with, it has the highest uh, mountains. Um, in the world, if I'm not mistaken, and they, and you can go skiing in Lesotho. Oh, so I went skiing um, in Africa, <laughs> which you know <laughs> some people sounds like an oxymoron. But yeah, going back to South Africa, you have Limpopo, you have Mpumalanga, which is just so stinking gorgeous. You have um, Eastern Cape, you know, beautiful beaches. South Africa is a really, really beautiful country. It's just, if they had the uh, redistribution of land and a transfer of wealth to Black Africans, then South Africa would go so much further, so much quicker. I think that that's it. But some of my closest friends, you know, I made in South Africa. with a lot of time in Johannesburg. I used to base myself out of Johannesburg when I was in the house. So with that being said, I know I didn't say which one was actually my favorite. <laughs> you know, I have my favorite island, my favorite city, um, you know, and favorites for different reasons. 
it sounds like there's just, I mean, there's so much to see. There's just so many different places that, you know, folks can actually go to. It sounds like a beautiful life you live as well. It is a beautiful life, which was created. So I agree. I do have a beautiful life. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from that. Mm-hmm. No, we, we honor that and respect that. Because I mean, it took you 10 years. It sounds like, you know, the fact that folks can come along for your tours and it's, it's not just your average safari. It's if they're interested in, you know, starting a business venture or collaborating or, and that you can do all of that. So that's where your law degree comes in handy. I think that's for my law degree, but also having a background for um, business development where mm-hmm. I can take an idea and transform it and build it out into a successful business if the resources, if I have the resources. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's more or less from that, like the passion to see things come into fruition, like working really hard, planning hard, and then seeing it play out. And then also uh, combining it with the passion I have with introducing people to the company. I love, you know, when people touch down and, you know, people mm. cry. You know, their life has changed when, you know, they return and have a repeat customer. Being able to play a part in creating this experience, that experience where you're introducing to For me, the continent is just like the, one of the most diverse places in the world. So it is to play a part in introducing people to the continent and connecting to their origins and their roots. For me, that's it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I think about, you know, Maya Angelou was someone who spent a lot of time on the continent. Um, Ghana. Um, I think she was supposed to work. Where was she supposed to go for work? I think she was supposed to go to Togo for work. It didn't, maybe it didn't work out. Um, and Egypt, she spent some time in Egypt as well. And she, when she writes about it in her novel, she just says that to come from the deep South where, you know, she was just so hated as a young black woman and to go to Africa where everywhere you look, you just see people who look like you and there's just so much beauty and acceptance and love. Is that the vibe still? Cause I mean, she was there like what? 70 years ago. Yeah, of course. Of course. This is when you, you travel to Africa and you see black ownership. Mm. I know we spoke in South Africa, but you go to Ghana, Everything, all the businesses are black owned. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have that same. I don't, I don't feel intimidated. But you know, walking around and in some places, they're only white owned, European owned businesses. So the only people who have the wealth or are driving the nice cars are non-Africans, blacks. And here is a different story. You know, you go to Johannesburg, so you travel throughout Ghana, you travel throughout different places in Kenya. You know. Um, you see the, the greatness of black people, not saying you don't see other places, but you see black people running it, you know? You, mm. America just saw its first mm. black president. And it's first, now we're just seeing our first black our vice president. Yeah, we've been having, I mean, since independence, it's not so long ago, 50, 60 years ago, but they're black presidents, they're black PMs, they're black people in leadership. Um, However, you know, on the flip side, there's so much corruption. 
on the on the continent. And a lot of people blame it on some of the leaders who are unfortunately not thinking of future generations, making deals with other countries that will benefit them in the short run, but it's uh, it's harmful to the co- the country in the long run. So um, yeah, it's a, it's interesting. Let's just say that it's complex and it's layered. Um, but I think it's it's beautiful to it's because you know folks here. When I say here, I'm talking about people in living in white majority spaces. Like however that majority's come about, you know. Um, we often talk about how important representation, like representation matters. We need to see more black people on TV. We need to see more black people in on boards, etc. But I think the actual impact to your psyche cannot be underestimated when you walk in Africa and it's like everyone's black. The pilot who is um, flying you is black. <laughs> you know, the doctor you're seeing is black. The every everything, 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 and it's like it's it. I think it impresses upon you just how deep that conditioning is that we can't achieve because it's. It's so subtle and it's daily. The what folks here experience, so like with the microaggressions and you know certain jobs being closed off to people, um, not officially, but you know just through through whatever issues people have with seeing black folks in in um, positions of authority and 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 control over their lives. So I think when you go when you go to Africa and you see that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, and like you said, it's complicated because there's also the corruption. It's not, um, it's not a walk in the park. Right. How do you, how, I mean, you obviously had to learn how to navigate that space so you can actually lead your tours for folks. But have you, have you had any experiences that you'd like to share where it was like, oh my gosh, that was a huge learning curve? It was written. And that's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening um, to the conversation that I had with Tiffany Anderson. We will continue it uh, next week. Definitely drop it next week. I've already edited that, and so it's good to go. Um, I'm going to be away, though, <laughs> so it will automatically update and upload. If you don't hear it, damn me and let me know, and I can fix that. I'll be away with family hanging out. i got family um, that's visiting from Western Australia, interestingly enough. And so uh, I'll be over in Tasmania hanging out with them. Maybe on my way back on the flight, actually, by the time you hear the the next episode. So yeah, so basically us Africans are everywhere. <laughs> and we're carrying all these stories that we've um, been taught from wherever we are in the diaspora or the continent. We're carrying them to all these different places that we're going to. So when you come across a person of African descent, of African origin, don't make assumptions. <laughs> it's basically one of the stories that I'm trying to tell you here. Um, you'll notice that the audio quality um, for these interviews is not as great and consistent across all of the podcasts. I was actually experimenting at that time. So as you know, all of these interviews were recorded um, during lockdowns when we were just getting our, our heads around the new technology that was out there for connecting with people. So Zoom technology, etc. I was using another platform. And I'm not quite 100% happy with the quality of the recording. 
that that platform could provide at that time. Um, so it was great because I could connect it directly into my Patreon and provide these interviews to my Patreon family who were supporting and funding this project during its creative development phase. So I want to shout out everybody who has been a part of my Patreon, especially during lockdown and um, all that money, as well as the grant money that I received from Creative Victoria, um, as well as the philanthropic money that I've received from the Literary Travel Fund, the Sydney Nilmer Literary Travel Fund, and an anonymous uh, philanthropist as well through Arts House in North Melbourne. Um, all of that has come into creating this project as well as my participation in a, um, a, a business enterprise development scheme through the, the Australian government that kind of you know kept me busy during lockdown and helped me create a, a COVID pivot for my storytelling business. So this is my COVID pivot business <laughs> and I'm continuing it even though you know things are opening up and people are having you know live events and live gigs so keep an eye on my social media as well because I will be having live in-person events soon um just trying to figure out what how where probably not as frequently because I am full-time employed at the university and these are my little projects that I'm nursing and nurturing slowly slowly in a very anti-capitalist way, creating the life that I want to live, the pace that I want to live my life at, while I run at the pace of capitalism everywhere else, because <laughs> that's reality, that's reality, and I don't diss it, it just is life, you know, it is life, and I give thanks for all the opportunities that I have at the moment, thanks for joining me, thanks for your patience, um, that's a little bit of behind the scenes info about how this project is evolving, and also a little bit of encouragement, I think, as well for artists. There's always a way. There's always a way and there's always a way forward. And so keep going. I see you. I salute you. Uh, please remember to always pay artists and to pay them well. Because a lot goes into our creations. A lot goes into making art. And I think, you know, we can assume that it's so easy. It's just so easy to put a podcast together. Yeah, you could. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are just, you know, whatever. I'm not going to diss them, but, you know, when an artist makes a podcast, there's a lot that's gone into it, you know, because there are podcasts that are about storytelling, and this is one of those. Um, you can definitely send through some cash reinforcements. It's always, always generously, warmly welcome. I have a link in the text box below, the info box below, of how you can contact me, how you can send through some cash if you're absolutely enjoying and loving this process and would love to be in an energy exchange in reciprocity um, with me. If you're from the African continent and are not resourced to send through the cash, enjoy. Enjoy. This is for us to enjoy um, because we've given so much to the world, right? And so I wanted to create something that pours back into us and gets our minds thinking and ticking because I know how resourceful we are. And I know a little story can go a long way to creating new ideas and forging new paths. And you'll surprise me. And as you always do, hand me with more interesting ideas to pursue and hand back to you. Reciprocity, energy exchange, harmonious relationship. 
All right, my people, I love you all, whether you're African or not. <laughs> I love you all. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the love. Catch you next week, Sunday. It was written. <laughs>